You're listening to the J.D. Rucker Show. Let's begin. We're going to be doing something slightly different today, and we're, we're testing it out, seeing if this is the right way to do it. So yesterday I had some comments, uh, some positive, but some semi, I wouldn't say negative, just uh, suggestions. The, the primary topic of yesterday's show was Israel and Hamas, and I had four stories about that particular topic. All four of those stories I end up talking about in the second hour. Well, people were noting that, hey, you know, I had to sit through the first hour, listen to you talk about this, that, or the other. Uh, we never even got to what you said you were going to talk about until till the end or until the second half. Now, one uh, one person in particular said, hey, I love the fact that, that you made me wait to get to the Hamas topic, which I was really interested in. But then I was listening to the stories in the first hour, and it's like, hey, these are interesting too. So it can go both ways. But we're going to try to do more of a, a spread Okay, today we're talking about Biden's border betrayal, and it's an important topic for obvious reasons, but I'm not going to to front load it. I've done that in the past, uh, front load the it with all stories about the, the border crisis. I'm not going to save it to the end. I'm not going to put it in the middle. We're going to sprinkle it. Okay, we're going to we're going to do a little bit of that whole, you know, where I take the salt and I drop it on my elbow and it, it goes on the steak. I, I forgot the chef that does that, but. We're going to do a little bit of sprinkling of this particular topic on on today's show and see if that makes more sense. So I think I've got like three or four, maybe even five stories regarding the border. Um, so instead of getting it all at once, you're going to get it in bits and pieces as I cover multiple multiple topics. Because let's face it, there's so much happening in the world today. Who can who can handle just one one topic in a a given two hour show? This first one is. This is the one that that really got my uh, got my juices flowing, got chapped my khakis, so to speak, uh, sent to me by my good buddy Matthew Burke over at the Liberty Daily. Uh, started off with just a news report from Fox News, and then I started digging deeper and deeper and deeper, and got angrier and angrier and angrier. It's a tweet by Charlie Kirk, uh, Bill Melligan, uh, reporting. And by the way, one of the greatest current modern day journalists out there, as far as just a true. Reporter, this guy goes where he needs to go, and he reports on, and does probably eighty, ninety percent of his reporting is about the border, and he puts his himself at risk to get the news. Bill Melligan, uh, one of the few good guys over Fox News, but anyway, I digress. We'll, we'll get away from my Fox News hatred. Bill Melligan reporting that authorities are suspending railway operations at the southern border to free up agents to help with the flood of illegal immigration. And then a quote from Bill during the, the broadcast, I'll play that here in a second. In other words, they're shutting down international commerce in order to, to help speed up processing of these, quote unquote, migrants. The, uh, they, are, they are illegal aliens, mostly military aged men that are uh, illegal aliens. Let's go ahead and take, take a live look take a li- and get it set to play. Take a live look at our Fox News drone over in Eagle Pass. They have had another mass illegal crossing out there. You can see hundreds upon hundreds of illegal immigrants waiting for processing there. You might be able to see a bridge off in the background. That is where the trains come in. Well, CBP has announced they are suspending railway operations to move CBP officers down into the field to help Border Patrol with processing. In other words, Harris, they're shutting down international commerce in order to help speed up 
processing of these migrants. Many of them, again, will be released. And back out here live, December is traditionally one of the slowest months at our southern border, but uh, the Border Patrol Union tells us right now their numbers show they are on track to potentially have the highest single month of arrests they have ever had at our southern border. So that's that's the report. And yes, obviously, I don't know about you, but I am infuriated about it, and I don't think I'm alone. Uh, Representative Marjorie Marjorie Taylor Greene, MTG, she also had some thoughts on the issue. The invasion at our southern border is beyond impeachment. It should be considered treason. Now she's talking my language. Joe Biden, Mayorkas, and the rest of his administration need to be held accountable. Now, I say stuff like that all the time, and it's okay if I say it. When a member of Congress says it most of the time, I say, okay, we'll do something. Here's the thing. Marjorie Taylor Greene has been trying to do something. She's been trying to to impeach Alejandro Mayorkas for a long time, and her colleagues just don't seem to agree with her. They're still looking for some some smoking gun, some trying to find that where he lied, this, that, or the other. Folks, here's the reality, okay? Let's take the Biden Biden impeachment uh, away for, for a second. We'll talk about that some other time. But specifically about Alejandro Mayorkas, he's the... He's the uh, uh, Secretary of Homeland Security, which means that his job, his primary role, is to keep us safe and to keep our borders safe. By the sheer fact that he has done the exact opposite of that, that alone is impeachable, period. Okay, you don't need to find where, where he, he embezzled money, you know, even though apparently that's not, not a, any big deal in D.C. anymore. You don't have to find where he, he lied under oath or anything like that. You can look at his job performance. Your job is to secure the border, and you didn't. So you're getting impeached. You're not being impeached because of some crime you committed. You're getting impeached because you're awful at your job. You're getting impeached because you're you're incapable of doing your job. That's enough to impeach a cabinet member, period. So do it. I mean, if you don't, and you're a Republican, and you, you don't agree with impeaching him, that means that you are saying he is doing the best job that he can. I'm not saying that, it, that you just impeach anybody that doesn't doesn't do well enough, but we're not talking about just, just doing a little bit subpar work here. We're talking about doing the exact opposite, and every action that he takes has a detrimental effect on our border security. Okay, He is intentionally opening the border. He's doing the exact opposite of what the American people are paying him to do now. He's not doing the exact opposite of what the Biden-Harris regime want him to do, nor his their uh, their handlers, nor the people that are controlling their handlers and the elite globalist elite cabal are doing exactly. Americas is doing exactly what he's been tasked to do. That doesn't matter because the American people, vast majority, even Democrats, want the border secured. He's not doing it. Impeach him now. I often rail against the younger generations, the millennials, Gen Z, whatever is going to follow. I always say, like a grumpy old man, all these kids nowadays, they don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to appreciate things. They got no work ethic. They got blah, 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 blah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's true, though, unfortunately. You know, I used to make fun of my parents and my grandparents for saying some more things about my generation. Well, maybe they were correct as well. Maybe, maybe we're all just, it's all just degrading. Well, there is some good news at least for boys, men, young men, young men, boys, whatever. They seem to understand what to look for in a woman. Unfortunately, <laughs> the same can't be true for 
for girls, young women, they don't seem to know what to look for in a man. And this is going to cause a big problem. This is probably why, like, there's, uh, I think I just read a statistic the other day that we have our highest percentage of, of uh, people age 40 that have never been married. Could it be that we are just splitting along the, the sex line, not the gender line, we don't care about that, the sex line. Men and women just think differently, and they're being raised to think differently. differently. And maybe that is part of the plan of the globalist elite cabal to divide us, to make it to where we, we just – we just can't can't repopulate the United States of America with actual Americans. Article over at the Post Millennial uh, by Sarah Higdon over there says that, and this is the the good news: 64% of Gen Z and Millennial men turned off by women who identify as communists. The, look, I don't care how you spin it; that's good news. Now you might say, well, it's not good news because only 64%. Shouldn't it be like 98%? Uh, 99%, 100%, yeah, it should, but hey, I wouldn't have guessed this. I would have thought that, you know, maybe 50-50, maybe 40-60 in favor of, yeah, you know, most most boys are looking for that communist communist uh, girl to date. Um, unfortunately, like I said, it's uh, it's not, not necessarily all good news when we look at the other side of the fence. A change research survey from September revealed that 64% of Gen Z and millennial men find women identifying as communists to be a red flag in dating, while, and here's the bad news, 76% of women from the same demographic think the same of men who identify as MAGA Republicans. So, so MAGA Republicans, we're the bad guys to, to over, over three-fourths of young women between the ages of, of, what is it, 18 to 34 or something like that? Yeah. The poll questioned 1,033 registered voters aged 18 to 34 about their red and green flags while dating. Found that women in the age uh, range tend to lean further left. <coughs> it's choking me up. Further left than men, with 41% identifying as progressive, while just 24% of men did the same. 53% of women said it was a red flag if their partner refused to see the Barbie movie. <laughs> I'm so glad that I'm. Happily, happily married because uh, I would not survive in this day and age. I, I assure you, there is nothing that could possibly compel me to see the Barbie movie. Um, I, I know that my sons are the same way. That's for sure. I, now, my daughter wants to see it. I'm, you know, I, I got no problem with that. Uh, at least one of them does. Anyway, while 55% said it was a red flag if they listened to Joe Rogan. <laughs> Who doesn't listen to Joe Rogan? Okay, fine. I admit it. I don't listen to Joe Rogan, but... But I have I, I listen to clips from Joe Rogan and they're very entertaining and sometimes even enlightening. Back to the article, 60 percent of women said it was a red flag if their partner says that all lives matter, you know, because we have to discriminate. You know, women don't want a man that, that doesn't discriminate about who, who matters. It's got to be this this understanding that, that only black lives matter and all the other lives are secondary if they're lucky. 59% of men said it was a red flag if their partner identified as a MAGA Republican, while 60% said the same if their partner has no hobbies. So they want, so they want a, a middle of the road, uh, girl who collects stamps. Got it. It's getting worse and worse. Recently, Fox News asked Americans on the street of New York City what their major red flags were when dating someone. New, Cassie from Arizona said, I think just being friendly and touchy with other girls is a red flag. Okay. I, I mean, I, I guess. When she's getting a little too 
uh, comfortable and kind of breaching the privacy zone, one man responded. And, you know, the individual barrier zone. <laughs> and, you know, there was a time when, at least when I was growing up, where boys did not get offended when girls got too close to them. As a matter of fact, it was considered a, a, a positive thing. And it's for women. They say they, they don't like it. It's a red flag when, when the, the, the man smells bad. Now, I have no objection to that. Okay. Personal hygiene is extremely important, regardless if you're a man or a woman. And uh, taking it seriously is a, a very important thing. My wife is she's, she is a clean freak. Uh, and don't, hopefully she won't watch this. Lindsay told Fox News, if they start talking about their ex or mention another girl's name or other partner's names, that would definitely be a red flag. I agree there. Uh, they still got, like, other people on social media, and they're still not really, like, as loyal to you as you want them to be. True. Good point. Good point. Good point. I have never contacted an ex-girlfriend on social media. I can assure you of that. Joanne, Joan, I don't know how to pronounce that, told the outlet that political stance is important to him. He said, uh, I'm from Israel, and our country is in a big turning point for the future, and some people don't really want us to exist. For me, the minimum is to at least understand. The polls show that 50% of women polled saw a man who doesn't care about politics as a red flag, while only 29% of men felt the same way. <laughs> that's, that's great. That's great. Oh, that's great. You know, I did, I, I admit, in high school, I did date two, two as a matter of fact, two Two progressives, uh, back then we just called them liberals, but they were, they were leftists, um, which was funny because I was in Young Conservatives, an officer for Young Conservatives, and one of the girls I dated was the, the president of the Young Democrats Club at the, the school, and we went on one date. One date. Didn't work out. So, <laughs> so what do you guys think? Sound off in the comments. I want to know, you know, is that, are we in trouble? I mean, is this, is this clear political divide between young men and young women where young men think that they don't want to date a communist and young women say they don't want to date a MAGA Republican? And does that mean that we're all in trouble? Or is it just that everybody's kind of getting pushed in towards the mushy middle? I've always said that the where the real passion uh, in as far as political ideology, it's always on the far left or the far right. And I'm not saying those in, as pejoratives, by the way. I, don't, I want to be clear. You know, I know a lot of people say, you know, especially media, they say he's the far right, the far right. Look, far right to me just is, is that you're logical and, and honest and you make sense and you're not scared of, of uh, you know, pissing people off. Because really, in my humble opinion, and if you fall into the category of you're, you're, you're moderate or whatever you want to call yourself, you, you, you lean right or maybe you lean left or you're a centrist or whatever. Look, I, I understand how that can be appealing maybe in the past, but today we do need and it's kind of you got to pick sides they're they're being picked either way so if you're if you re lean right i assure you that that can be relative to or when you ask that uh that democrat that leftist who you are they're going to call you far right anyway so you might as well just fit the bill in my humble opinion not just because it's the you know the passionate way to address the issues of our nation but perhaps more importantly because it's the, it's the right ideology i'm not talking about going radical crazy you know so far to the right that, that you, you don't even fit on a scale. I'm just saying, look, I mean, we, the, the far right perspectives of, of America first, of making America great again, of limiting government, limiting taxes, limiting intrusion, increasing privacy, increasing freedom, increasing liberty. There was a time 
when those concepts wouldn't be considered quote-unquote far right, today they are. And if you uh, believe those things, don't, don't go around calling yourself a moderate. Don't go, go around saying, oh, you know, Mitch McConnell's not so bad. Okay, he is bad, not just because he's, he's a moderate, but mostly because he's arguably the most corrupt politician in Washington, D.C., next to Joe Biden, who's, who's got him beat by, by a mile. He's got everybody beat by a mile. But, but Mitch McConnell, I would say, is, is probably up there, you know, top three or four, maybe number two, maybe number two. Point being is that uh, we were talking about dating, and I, I had to get into Mitch McConnell. How does a conversation go from dating to Mitch McConnell? That only happens on the J.D. Rucker show. Uh, point being is that this divide, is it manufactured? Is this something where we should truly be concerned, considering that, that our birth rates are already far below the replacement levels where they need to be? Is this just making it even less likely that we're going to, to have American-born children here, you know, legal immigrants, people that come across and become, become Americans the, the legal way? Is that just, are we doomed for none of this to happen? I think so. But sound off in the comments. Mm. One thing you should never do on a show is to uh, drink carbonated water. Found this new sparkling ice and zero calorie, zero sugar <laughs> drink, and it's um, you should probably not do it <laughs> in the middle of a of a podcast. Now I got to wait all the way until till the the break to relieve myself of of gas. Anyway, <laughs> yes, not important. As everybody should know by now, I am a prepper. I'm considered a late prepper. I didn't really start prepping till right around the time, oh, I guess about January of 2021, <laughs> right when when Joe Biden became president. I was a I guess you could say a mild prepper. I had a couple of bug out bags, a couple of buckets worth of food, but uh, all the way back during the Obamacare days, but for the most part, I did not consider the necessity of getting fully prepared for the apocalypse, for whatever we have coming at us from any direction. It seems like we have it coming at us from multiple directions at this point in American history, but it is what it is. For the most part, it has always been considered survival, preparedness, all that stuff has always been considered a, a right-wing endeavor, something that that's only those those crazy right-wingers are doing. But now it seems as if that is shifting, that more more leftists are getting involved in uh, in participating in the the preparedness movement. And I hey, awesome. You know, more the better. The way that I always look at it is this. And and for those who have never heard me talking about prepping, this may may be an eye opener because it goes against standard preparedness uh protocols, I guess you could say. They always say never tell anybody about your preps, never tell your friends, your relatives, don't tell anybody you're prepping. And the the concept there is that if and when the crap does hit the fan, everybody's going to be coming come running to you to to take care of them. That's the the idea. Or worse, uh, everybody's going to be coming to somebody's going to be coming to you armed and trying to take what you have have uh, secured for yourself and your family. So they always say keep it secret. I, on the other hand, do believe in alerting friends and family maybe you know don't broadcast it to the neighbors or the world but but telling your friends and family number one that's your prepping number two explain to them why they need to be prepping get them on board because the way that i look at it we're going to need people who are not beholden to government in order to be able to to fight back against whatever tyranny awaits us and if we are unsuccessful and we can't fight back 
then we're still going to need as many people as possible who were prepared, who are now able to help us to rebuild from the ashes. So I, I say the more, more, more the merrier. The more people that are prepared for what's to come, the fewer people there will be who are beholden to government. And as I always say, I don't care how patriotic somebody is, they could have, they could, they could have a picture of Ronald Reagan over their bed and uh, sing the national anthem as they uh, brush their teeth. But if they have to decide between you know, being patriotic and fighting the good fight or doing the government's bidding, following their, their diktats so that they're allowed to feed their family and feed themselves, even the most patriotic American is going to, to get jabbed, hop in the bread line, and, and eat their cricket burgers. So I am a big fan of making sure that everybody we can find everybody is, is uh, ready to go, ready for whatever there is to come, and that does include the ideological left. There's an article over at over at uh, endoftheamericandream.com, one of Michael Snyder's many sites. I have it over at discern.tv. I'm also going to be putting it on my substack for preparedness, lateprepper.substack.com. You can check that out, and you'll likely catch this very, this, this very uh, commentary on it. Sada, why has prepping become so popular with the left? And it really is a good question. You know, I did an article the other day, I think, and he does talk about it in this this uh, uh, article himself. So I'll just wait. I'll tell that story here in a second. According to the article, something really weird is going on. Traditionally, prepping has been associated with those on the right of the political spectrum, but now we are witnessing a dramatic shift. These days, many of the most hardcore preppers are actually on the left. These leftist preppers have become entirely convinced that we are headed for a catastrophic societal meltdown, and they are determined to try to survive whatever happens. And we are starting to see leftist fear about the future being reflected in movies and television shows. For example, a new apocalyptic disaster movie entitled Leave the World Behind is getting millions upon millions of views on Netflix. And if you guys didn't catch, I did a my analysis, my review of it, and explained why you know, they, they're talking about the race aspect of it. Uh, that's part of it, but I think that's more of a smokescreen. The real messages, I, I listed three messages in a previous show, and you can always check that out. Just you can search my site, discernreport.com. Just search for Leave the World Behind, and you should see that that video analysis. I'm not going to get it. Bottom line is that it, is, it does seem to be at least leaning towards preparedness, but perhaps more importantly, it's leaning towards the idea that there is nothing that you can really do. You know, I mean, sure, if you've got the money and you can build yourself a luxury bunker somewhere, then then, hey, you know, go do it. <laughs> uh, the movie. And, and as he notes, this is a movie by with executive directors, uh, Barack and Michelle Obama. And there's and even the, the actor, the director, everybody involved with it is on the left. And yet here they are doing a movie about the end of an attack on America, the end of of times for this nation, at the very least, maybe for the entire world and about getting ready and being able to survive that particular fictional apocalypse. Uh, nothing conservative about this movie, as he notes. It was made by leftists, uh, and it is meant to be watched by leftists, and that's important, even though I would argue that the whole reason they put in the, the uh, racist elements was to try to outrage and get people on the right to watch it, and hey, it worked. A lot of us did, okay? A lot of us did. Uh, so why in the world would the Obamas want to make something like this? That is a good question. Hopefully somebody will ask them. Once upon a time, leftists tended to mock preppers, but now anxiety about the 2024 election is motivating many leftists to become preppers themselves. And this is according to New York Post. 
Doomsday prepping is seeping into the mainstream as Americans of all ages and political persuasions are becoming increasingly worried about the 2024 presidential election, about the prospect of a civil war. Hoarding food, water, and weapons was once associated with libertarian extremists, but as a rematch between President Biden and his predecessor, former President Donald Trump, seems all but inevitable in 2024, prepping has become a bipartisan activity, according to a Monday USA Today report. On the left, you have people afraid that Trump's going to declare himself dictator of the United States, and people on the left are going to end up as targets in some sort of authoritarian system, said author Bill uh, Brad Garrett. Uh, there really are lots of people out there that are convinced, have convinced themselves that if Donald Trump wins the election, he will make himself a dictator and establish a fascist re- regime in the United States. And it's funny, I actually passed on the story for today. I was going to be doing a story for the show about you know, basically debunking the notion that this guy who was president for four years and didn't declare himself dictator then has no desire and nor, I mean, there's, there's literally zero chance that he would do the things that they're claiming that he's going to do. They're saying it's a certainty. I'm saying that it's absolutely impossible. And I'm right, because <laughs> it is impossible. Just, I'm, I don't want to make this a political segment, but just to be clear, Donald Trump's driving force, what, what makes him want to be president, what makes him get up and out of bed every day is his ego. And people will say, oh, that's negative, but that's not. You know, for, for a president of the United States, you have to, you have to have a certain level of narcissism. You have to have a very strong ego. The sheer fact that, that somebody would think that they were qualified to run to become the leader of the free world, that already demonstrates an ego. Donald Trump wants to build a legacy. He wants, he wants this to extend well beyond him, well beyond his kids, well beyond he wants to be remembered for all of time. He wants to be the, the 21st century uh, George Washington. Okay, that's so his intention is to do what's absolutely positively best for the country. This is why I trust him. Do I like uh, all of his policies? Do I like the way that he acts? No, but I do know because his driving force, his ambition is geared around being awesome as president. He's going to do what is best. He's not going to declare himself a dictator. Okay? He's not power hungry. He's not. He has plenty of power. He's, he, he takes a, essentially a power downgrade when he becomes president because, because within his organizations, he already is essentially the, the equivalent of a tyrant. That's what a CEO is. They, they have essentially unilateral control, not the president, and he learned that during his first term. He learned that there were things that he could do as CEO that he cannot do as president. So don't tell me that he's going to, to become a tyrant. That's ludicrous. But anyway. Uh, seriously, the, back to the article. Seriously, this is why what they actually believe in the fact that Joe Biden's approval rating keeps getting lower only adds to the anxiety. And uh, this is according to Fox News. One third, only one third of Americans gave President Biden a thumbs up on the job he's doing at the White House, according to new public opinion survey. You get the idea. Nobody likes Joe. Even even people in his own party don't like him, or at least they don't like the the circumstances that have have been created by his handlers and. And the, the people that control the White House, they have created such horrible circumstances here in the United States that everybody's blaming Joe, and rightly so, because he's the one that's allowing it to happen because he just doesn't have the mental capacity or willingness to try to stop it. Plus, he's, he's uh, compromised from 84 different directions. Anyway, but there's, he's not the only one. It's not just these random people. It's not just the movies. There are actually high-profile leftists who are becoming preppers. Mark Zuckerberg appears to be one of them. In 2020, his money played a major role in what we witnessed in the swing states, but this time around, Mark Zuckerberg appears to be preparing for doomsday. This is according to the register.com. On a remote part of Kaui, the fourth largest island in the Hawaiian archipelago, someone with a lot of money is bankrolling an expensive 
construction project. It's a very hush-hush uh, project. Uh, security guards and cameras watch the perimeter of the 1,400-acre site. A six-foot wall blocks locals from peeking, and vetted workers are subject to strict NDAs preventing discussion of the work. However, those NDAs don't appear to have functioned as intended because a report on Wired.com claims the project's patron is none other than Meta Big Cheese Mark Zuckerberg. It is being reported that Zuckerberg's survivalist compound has a 5,000-square-foot underground bunker and will be completely self-sufficient. We'll have at least 30 bedrooms. 30 bedrooms! How many friends does this guy got? Oh, I guess billions. Uh, and 30 bathrooms and a network of tree houses that connect some of the rooms. A network of tree houses that connect some of the rooms. That's weird. I don't even... I, I don't even know what to say about that. Is that a is that a typo? What could it possibly? Is it literally a network of tree houses connecting some of the rooms? That's never heard that one before. Prepping with tree houses, <laughs> preparedness in the third grade. Wired reports that the main residence will be joined by a five thousand square foot underground shelter that includes living spaces and an escape hatch. Sources have told Wired the compound will be completely self sufficient with an eighteen foot tall water tank and a pump and pump system and food production systems. I wonder how much water you can actually put in an 18-foot-tall water tank. Of course, obviously, it depends on how wide it is, um, what, what the actual volume is. But I figure, you know, you can – I've seen those ones. We don't have one yet. We will. But I've seen the ones that are about uh, uh, about seven or eight feet tall, and they only hold like 300 gallons. You need, just as a quick pepper note, you need approximately a gallon a day per person. And people will say, well, I don't drink a gallon a day. It's not just for what you drink. It's what you eat. It's, it's for cleaning, and it's for – all the various things that you'll need water for. At the very bare minimum, you need one gallon per person per day. I've seen some say that in a pinch you can go down to a liter per day, but still, uh, it's not a whole – I mean, you need a whole lot of water. We don't realize how much water we use on a given day, and the vast majority of us, it's not that we're going to run out of food if everything really goes south. It's if the water stops coming out of the tap, most most Americans are, I hate to, to use the phrase, but dead in the water. You will have to become beholden to government and, and hoping that they'll be able to pass out their water bottles and they won't be taken by Hamas or whoever is is invading at that point, but whatever. Anyway, even a radical leftist like Mark Zuckerberg can see can sense that really bad stuff is on the horizon. And so he is taking action. Meanwhile, ordinary Americans are buying gold from Costco. We've talked about this before. $100 million. They sold in one quarter. $100 million worth of gold in one quarter. I got nothing. So why are so many people hoarding gold right now? The answer is obvious. Inflation is completely out of control, and we are all on the verge of a full-blown economic collapse. Of course, our economic problems are only part, a small part of the larger picture. A perfect storm is upon us, and it is going to get a lot more intense during the months ahead. For in this article, there is one more thing I wanted to mention, and it is a sure sign that we really do live in the apocalyptic times. Let's see, which I forgot. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to skip that part. He's talking about that. Nah, I'm not even going to. Uh, you can read it over at uh, discern.tv if you want or at lateprepper.substack.com. He he went there, and, and I'm not going there. Look, I will say this. Number one, okay, just to give you guys a, a quick, because this is for late preppers. If you are a late prepper, you're just getting out there. I'm going to give you basically two minutes worth of advice. Okay. Number one, the most important thing you can do is to make a plan. Make a plan, practice the plan, and stick to the plan. In other words, be ready 
it's not just about hoarding stuff and then when the crap hits the fan, you don't know what to do with it. Okay, get ready by making a plan. Figure out what you need to do. And that plan is not so in case of tornado, do this. In case, no, no. I mean, that's part of it, but that's not the, the whole thing. The plan starts immediately. Okay, the plan includes, hey, learn how to how to fix, you know, whatever. Learn how to fix things if you don't, if you're not mechanically inclined. Learn how to use certain tools. Learn how to build a fire from a stick, you know, and and, uh, and rocks or whatever. Learn learn various survival skills. And it's not just about surviving out in the wilderness. It's also about surviving at home, okay? About picking up the skills that you need to be able to survive if you just can't call the, the repairman or a plumber or whatever. Learn how to grow food. Learn how to cook food. A lot of people don't know how to cook food. And if you're using, for example, a solar oven, or if you, not if you're using it, but if you have a solar oven, learn, practice on it. Don't just go into the apocalypse blind. Learn all the, the necessary skills that you'll need. Learn to sew, okay? There was a time when sewing was a crucial skill in every single household. That time may come again. And if nobody in your household knows how to sew properly, you're going to have some pretty ineffective clothing, you know, in the months, years, decades to come. If you can't run down to the mall or go on Amazon and have have more clothes delivered to you. Number two, get out of the city if you can. This isn't really prepper advice. This is a warning, okay? There are many, many dozens of possible scenarios, likely possible scenarios. I'm not just talking about, oh, what about an asteroid? I'm talking about like like scenarios that are uh, brewing around us that we should take into strong consideration, whether it's invasion, nuclear war, economic collapse, food crisis, grid goes down, rioting on the street, martial law, or lack of martial law, and and uh, people roaming the streets, killing each other and, and taking taking stuff from people. Be able to defend yourself. And the best way to do that, by the way, is to not be in the city, okay? Now, I'm not saying that being out in the rural areas that you, you're totally safe and you got nothing to worry about. Being in a rural area has an entirely different set of possible problems. You know, I, for one, my family, we have a, a medical scenario where we have to be close to a hospital, okay, at all times. We can't not be close to a hospital. That's the only reason why we're still here in California. I would have left and gone to a homestead in Montana or Idaho or someplace by now if it wasn't for the fact that I can't. I have to be, it's not just being close to a hospital. I have to be close to specific hospitals. I would have even have left, you know, left, uh, <laughs> left California and gone to a nicer area that has hospitals, you know, maybe a more, more red state. But I have and I can. I'm stuck here. And I know a lot of you are. But if you're not, do what you can to not only get out of the cities, but also get out of the suburbs. Okay. And know that it's it's more of a buying time. It's not necessarily making you much, much, much safer. I think that the initial turmoil, depending upon the scenario, the initial turmoil is going to happen in the major cities. And then from there, it's going to spread out as far as it can. You can't run. You can't hide from it forever. Some of you can. Like you might be in a situation, you're a survivalist, you're single, you could live in the in the uh, mountains for for decades if necessary without contact with anybody. Awesome. Most people can't. Okay. Most people need help. Most people need family. Most people need need food or water. Most people don't have the skills necessary to be able to survive indefinitely outside a, away from civilization. But that might be one of the skills that you pick up. And then last but not least, stock up on water. As I mentioned before, you need a lot. Okay. Assume what are you going to do? And let's say it's not even a a uh, or a uh, you know apocalypse. Maybe it's not the end of America. What if it's just you know the grid goes down, if the power goes out, the water goes out eventually. Okay, I mean I'm talking about a widespread power outage because you still need electricity to pump the the water. 
So now your faucets don't work. How will you survive? Do you have enough bottled water? Do you have containers of water? Store up water. That's number one. Number two, food. Okay, you got to have food. Most Americans have an average of two weeks worth of food before they will essentially start starving to death. Now, you can survive without food a heck of a lot longer than you can survive without water, but it makes sense to not even test your body's, body's ability to go without food. Just store up food. And if you can, if you are already out of the city and you are already, you know, you got your preps already set up, now it's time to get into gardening, to homesteading, to being able to, you know, a little mini farm if you can. And yes, chickens. Chickens are chickens turn dirt turn turn the ground into protein. A daily supply of protein if you've got got enough chickens. Okay? So, and don't eat the chickens. Eat the eggs. Kind of remind people of that. It's like, well, if I get like eight chickens, that's only going to feed my family for like two weeks. <laughs> I actually had somebody <sighs> tell me that. No, it's the eggs, dude. It's the eggs. Anyway, um, yeah, so so do whatever you can. And if you can't, let's say you, you can't, for whatever reason, maybe you're not in, in an area where you can grow a big garden and, and uh, have a homestead and have chickens or whatever, you know, stock up whatever you can, beans and rice. And by the way, just uh, I wasn't intending to bring this up, but for those who are watching before Christmas 2023, I know a lot of people watch these in the in the replay later, but if you're watching before Christmas 2023, we are having a essentially a once in a lifetime sale over at wholecows.com. Okay? We're doing 25% off with promo code one time 25. It's all one word. One time W N E T I M E and then the number's 25. All one word. 25% off. We we usually do 10 or 15% off, sometimes even 5% if we're running low on stock, but uh, yeah, this time we're doing 25% off because we're making room in the warehouse for bison. Bison's coming next year. Um, could be January, probably February, but we are going to start selling bison meat very, very soon, which is, I, in my humble opinion, the ultimate pepper meat, but uh, we need to clear out space, so take advantage of it. This sale goes on until Christmas Day, 25% off, and if you're a big spender and you spend over $1,000, use promo code one time 30 to get 30% off. We are trying to clear space. So, you know, my loss, your gain, wholecows.com. So you got your water, you got your food, make sure that you got enough meds. And this can be challenging sometimes. I know because, you know, there's certain medications that you just can't store long term. Everybody has their own needs. Assess yours, make a plan and try to get as much as you can and talk to your doctors. If, if you trust your doctor, talk to them about this. Okay. When I say trust your doctor, you know, you don't, <laughs> depending on what medicines you're going to ask them for, uh, if you can trust them and tell them, Hey, you know, I, uh, I uh, I want to get some some extra for storage, you know, and uh, I don't I just don't trust that that things are going to be safe and sound, and the pharmacies are going to be open here soon, eventually. So I want to stay ahead of it. So can I get like a instead of my normal monthly supply, can I get a six month supply and then just start building from there? Just talk to them, and maybe maybe they uh, maybe they'll say no. Maybe they'll say you can't because it's got a shelf life of such and such, or maybe they'll say sure, you know, to get get your prescriptions, and then if you can't. Do some research. Find some alternatives. There's an alternative to almost every medicine, not all the medicines, but almost every medicine has like a natural or at least an, an easily acquirable alternative to to the uh, going through your doctor and pharmacy. So so check out those options. Of course, number four is firearms and ammunition. Look, I you could be a knife expert. Great. Okay, I'll take I'll take a Glock <laughs> any day, <laughs> especially from a distance. And if you're if you're not skilled, if you're if you don't own a firearm or not practicing with a firearm, practice. And if you can't, if you don't have enough ammunition, um, get more. And people ask me, well, how much is enough ammunition? And my answer is more. <laughs> whatever you can get, whatever you can store, 
Get as much as you can because there's going to come a time when we will not. That's how they will, by the way, engage in gun control. So they're not going to go around confiscating guns. They're going to confiscate or not confiscate. They're going to to stop the production and sale of ammunition or tax it in a way that makes it cost prohibitive. So that's my prediction. Be ready for that. Make sure you got your Bibles for sure. I say plural because you always want to have at least one or two or three backups if you can. Those are extremely important. And then last but not least, as Michael Snyder mentioned, physical precious metals, always a good good bet, and you can go check them out. Go uh, check out Genesis Gold Group, a Christian gold company, at jdrgold.com. Folks, don't be scared. Uh, I know that the many on the left are coming on. Maybe you're listening to this, reading this, whatever, and you're on the left. Great. Welcome. Okay, we can we can discuss our ideological divide from a political or cultural perspective at some other time, but right now, when if and when the crap hits the fan, we're in this together. Okay, unless you're Mark Zuckerberg, in which case you're only in this together if you're one of his thirty friends that get a one of the rooms that are connected by a treehouse. <laughs> but don't get don't sweat it too much, folks. Don't get so obsessed with preparedness and survival that you miss the things that are happening in life today. Enjoy life for now. And when I say enjoy, I'm not saying, oh, go go live your best life now and go have fun. I'm saying enjoy life as in, you know, for me, my greatest enjoyment is is uh, spending time with my wife, reading her Bible, talking about we have just the most immense, incredible discussions because she does have time. She's able to to go through and read things in the Bible, and we get to talk about it whenever I have enough time to be able to talk to her about it, and I wish I had more. So in many ways, I look at the apocalypse as a time, if I have to go into apocalypse mode, and all we got to do is read the Bible and talk about it. It's like, yes, yes, love it. But that's just me. Whatever it is that, that suits your fancy, that floats your boat, be ready for it and, and enjoy it. Don't, don't get scared. Just be prepared. And that's, ooh, that rhymes. I should probably write that down. Don't get scared. Be prepared. And we can turn this into the prepper song. No, we won't do that. Whenever I think of how feckless the GOP is, especially at the state level, I often look at Texas. Now, I know a lot of people love Texas, and I think that Texas is still this this great beacon of, of conservatism, but it really isn't, at least not at the, at the government level. Both the state legislature as well as the governor's office have demonstrated that they are, at best, they're slow on issues. Sometimes they don't address them at all. Of course, we know how corrupt the the uh, Republican Party in Texas is, as far as the, from a legislative perspective, we saw that during the whole Ken Paxton fiasco. But Governor Greg Abbott has always been on my my crap list because he is just slow, okay? (laughs) The entire state is slow to enact legislation and to set policies that are beneficial to the people of Texas and to the nation in general. They do something, and it's, oftentimes it's a big deal, except it's a big deal that should have been done three years ago. And this latest example, as they're addressing the border crisis, is, uh, well, it's one of the most glaring because it's something that, you know, the news comes across that this happens, and all of a sudden you're like, what? why isn't this happening before? Why isn't this already happening? Of course, yesterday we also had the, and I covered this on the, on the uh, show earlier today, for those who are catching late, but they did uh, shut down the trains, trains coming across. Those have been shut down because uh, I think everybody's seen the videos of illegal aliens on top of the trains, tucked in the crevices, just just coming across, taking a ride over the border, and then then uh, going into the interior of the United States of America. Those trains have been shut down. Of course, the economic uh, turmoil caused by that is uh, is going to be huge, and we're going to start feeling it more and more. But... 
Following that, Greg Abbott signed another another piece of legislation that also addresses the border. And to some extent, it's like I said, it's late, but in many ways, it's also weak. But we'll see. I, I want to. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. We'll see how this plays out. This article comes from Harold Hutchison over at the Daily Caller News Foundation. You can find find it cross posted with permission over at Discern.tv. Titled: Greg Abbott signs bill allowing Texas cops to arrest illegal aliens. Like I said, you're like, oh, what? Why is this coming now? Just before 2024, it doesn't even go into effect until March of 2024. What what took so long? If you're asking that question, you're on the right track. Why did it take so long? But hey, we got it. Not trying to be Debbie Downer. Let's let's just move forward. According to the article, Republican Governor Greg Abbott of Texas signed legislation Monday allowing law enforcement officers to arrest illegal aliens. Abbott's signature on the legislation, known as SB4, means it will enter into law on March uh, in March 2024. The legislation makes illegal entry into Texas a state misdemeanor. And those convicted under the law face a fine of $2,000, up to $2,000, or up to 180 days in jail. Repeat offenders could face a felony charge and up to 20 years in jail. Let's let's be clear. That's right there. That is the that's the key to all of this. Okay, this is the part where I get at least a little bit excited. As long as it's enforced, and as long as they really just just throw the books at them. Okay, we have a problem with illegal aliens, obviously, in this nation. But the ones we have to be most concerned about are the ones that keep coming back, keep coming back. How many stories do we have to face every single day about illegal aliens? You know, this person has been deported three times. This person has been deported seven times. Okay, well, why? Why do they keep getting deported? Because they keep coming back. Why do they keep coming back? Because there are no repercussions. We are going to have to address this at a national level. We're also going to have to address this at a, a local level. It's good that we're addressing it at a state level, and I think that at some point, our future may hold the necessity, and when I say may hold, our our current day holds the necessity. I just don't think we've been able to mobilize properly enough, but we are going to have to engage in this this war, this invasion. We're going to have to try to stop it at a um, on a personal level. In other words, it needs to be there needs to be some private access to the, uh, to be able to stop this. That's going to be the legislation that I think allows the uh, the most movement. If we can get citizens to engage, if we can allow citizens to engage without repercussions from government to try to to halt the border invasion, that's where things can finally, hopefully, Lord willing, be brought back to a, a level of sanity. We need to close the borders, period. I mean, but that's a that's a simple solution that has very complex uh, moving parts to actually make it happen. It will always help to, to build the wall at the very least. Anyway, according to... Uh, um, Abbott, he said the goal of Senate Bill 4 is to stop the tidal wave of illegal entry into Texas. Opponents of the measure claim it is unconstitutional and have criticized the Biden administration for not opposing Texas's uh, uh, efforts more strongly. The Border Patrol shut down two bridges, as we noted earlier. Um, those were, were the trains. Over 188,000 illegal immigrants have entered or have been encountered, sorry, at the U.S. Uh, Mexico border uh, during fiscal year 2024. And to be clear, for those who are fiscal year 2024, yeah, that just started, okay? <laughs> 188,000 is a huge number. You might be like, oh, but there's like 30 million. Yes, there are. But that's it's looking like it's going to be getting worse. Twenty, Believe it or not, 2022, I'm sorry, 2023 was actually not as bad as 2022. There was a mad rush in 2022. Um, 2023 was slightly lower, but it was still higher than 2021, which was still higher than all the times before. Point being is that 
is that we are, as we go into 2024, the numbers are going to go up, up, up if we don't stop it now. And this this effort by Greg Abbott, by the Texas legislature, by Texas in general is good. It's a start. That's it. Unfortunately, it's a start that's that's not getting enacted until 2024. This should have been the case as soon as they realized there was a problem. Um, you know, and when was that? Well, as soon as the Biden-Harris regime was installed into office. That's when it's like, okay, guys, this is going to get bad. Let's do it. So we'll give them the benefit of the doubt and say they wanted to, to see it before they believed it. Now they finally believe it, and now they're, they're finally taking action. Now the question is, is it too late? We'll see. I think I made it very clear over the last couple of years that I am a big, huge fan of physical precious metals. I've worked with multiple companies during that time, and I've uh, finally found one that I can wholeheartedly endorse, not just because they do good business, they do it the right way, they don't try to rip people off, but perhaps more importantly, because they are a Christian company. They they check off two major boxes, at least as far as I'm concerned. Genesis Gold Group does does fantastic work helping people transfer their, their IRAs, their 401ks, their government retirement plans, whatever you've got. You know, with your money being probably invested into woke ESG funds without your knowledge or maybe even with your knowledge, uh, risky, risky endeavors. Hey, now's the time when you look around, you see inflation, you see the banks doing their thing, oftentimes closing or even just staying open and closing your accounts. When you see what's happening with recession, stagflation, bricks, de-dollarization, it's it's concerning. But you don't have to be concerned, at least not with your life's savings. You can go to JDRGold.com. That's JDRGold.com. Contact Genesis Gold Group and see what they can do to help you. It's, I mean, it's worth a, a, a try, right? <laughs> at, least, at least see what they have to say. They're not going to try to sell you, you know, give you, hey, we'll give you $10,000 in free silver if you just, you know, transfer. And don't worry, we're only making a $299 fee off of it. You know, we, this is free silver. It fell off a truck. I, I, I don't even know what they say, but they, they won't try to do anything like that. They're just going to deal with you honestly and uh, and help you to secure your life savings. Go to jdrgold.com for Genesis Gold Group. I have an announcement to make. I just bought an electric vehicle. It was a uh, it was for my son. It was a little. Uh, little battery-powered car, and he's got the remote control, and he can take and, and go around the world with it, and it's probably the last electric vehicle that I buy for a long time, probably ever. I'm not a fan of EVs, not because I don't like Elon Musk or not because I don't like like uh, the technology potential, but we're not there yet. Obviously, we're not there yet. Very clearly, unambiguously, uh, in indisputably, we are not there re- ready for electric cars, not as a nation, not as a world. And yet there's this incessant push by the Biden-Harris regime, by the, the Gavin Newsom regime, by, by every leftist regime, as well as the World Economic Forum, the Council for Inclusive Capitalism, the World Health Organization, the United Nations. Everybody seems to be pushing for this. Everybody, of course, except for uh, people who are sane, like you and me. And I mean, look, if you've bought an electric vehicle, I've, I've considered it myself. But the, like I said, the technology is not there. I'm not... I'm not ripping on people who buy electric vehicles, though you might grow to regret it sooner rather than later. There is, however, a another group that another entity will say 
that is very interested in electric vehicles, but for a very different reason. That group, of course, is China. China wants to corner the market on electric vehicles, and they're not alone. They have buddies who are also pushing pushing in that regard as well. And, of course, they are their, their co-equal evil doers over at BlackRock. <clears throat> I turn to an article by uh, uh, over at Independent Sentinel. I don't want to say the name. M. Dowling is the name of the the author, the the site owner, and I am not going to say her first name. She doesn't use her first name, so I'm not going to say her first name. Maybe she's just a private person, uh, and I totally respect that. But she puts on her articles. They're titled, uh, their byline is M. Dowling, so we're going to stick with that. The article's titled, BlackRock and China Will Own the U.S. Electric Market. That was a, It's a very bold declarative statement. Let's see if she is accurate. According to a new report, three major Chinese EV companies are planning to build new factories in Mexico, sparking concern among U.S. officials, and this is reported by Business Insider. This comes after Joe Biden's EPA mandated that 50% of all new vehicle sales must be electric by 2030. There's that year again. We talk about it often. What is it about 2030 that's got them all, all spooked? Maybe we'll get to that later. Uh, MG, BYD, and Cherry are all looking at sites to build new factories in the country, according to an unnamed source uh, cited by the Financial Times. And this investment is causing angst in Washington as it seeks to keep China out of the U.S. electric car market. Now, why is that, by the way? Why is, you know, it's it's one of those things where I get it. There's there's trade deficits. There's a reason that we want things to be built here in the United States and not abroad. But is there something deeper? Is there a deeper reason why our own government, and not a not a America first government by any means, why even the Biden-Harris regime is concerned that their that their masters over at in Beijing might be pushing into this market? We have to ask that question. Why are they trying to? Well, let's see if there's answers. U.S. officials are very concerned. According to Business Insider, China's electric vehicle market is booming, and it also dominates the global electric vehicle battery supply chain because of lithium, for those who don't know. This will kill the U.S. car business, and it calls into question Biden's loyalties. They sure aren't with America. BlackRock invests in China and EVs, not uh, not just Ukraine. And who runs U.S.-China policy? It's BlackRock tied Tom Donilon who is also tied to Barack Obama, who is really running the country. <laughs> that entire statement right there is is so accurate, it's scary. Yes, Barack Obama is currently running the country. The only question that we really have is, is he doing it on his own, or is he a minion of the globalist elite cabal, or is he a, a card-carrying active member of the globalist elite cabal leadership? That's a question I ask here often, and I think that... It seems, at least, that he's no longer a minion. Maybe he was from the beginning, but that he is—he has uh, gotten a promotion now. I think that he's one of the one of the underlings, directly answering to to possibly even Satan himself. But that's just my opinion. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just one of those crazy guys, right? In June, the Biden State Department announced that Obama's former national security advisor and current chairman of BlackRock Investment Institute, Tom Donilon, will lead advising Biden's China policy. Is this 10% for the big guy, or is China our our boss now? And I shouldn't be. I shouldn't have said or. <laughs> those are two separate questions, and they're not mutually exclusive. Is this 10% for the big guy? I don't think so, and I'll explain why. Is China our boss now? Yes, and I probably won't explain why. Let's start with the, the 10% for the big guy. Look, 
people keep talking about, you know, Joe Biden getting bribed, uh, getting pushed to do this, his, his family getting getting bribed to do this, that or the other. Folks, I hate to say it to you, and, and this is going to sound like, oh, you know, you must be against impeachment, which I'm not. I'm not against impeachment. But I will say this, that, that it is old news. OK, we, we've gone far beyond Joe Biden getting 10 percent as the big guy. Joe Biden doesn't care about 10 percent coming to him anymore. He's already got plenty. But more importantly, they don't need to bribe him anymore. They have enough dirt on him. He is corrupt. He is he is compromised. That's the part that should scare you the most. It's not worrying about whether or not he's getting getting extra money through through his presidency. He's not. He's not. He, they already gave him all the extra money they needed through his vice presidency, through as a senator, and then after his vice presidency during the four years where he was technically not involved in politics at all. That's where 10% for the big guy came into play. And that 10% was not just translated into more money in the Biden crime family's bank accounts, multiple dozens, hundreds probably of bank accounts. More importantly, at least for as far as we're concerned, it translated into he is compromised. They have dirt on him. You might say, who's they? Well, they is, they is China. They is Ukraine. They is the World <laughs> Economic Forum. They is BlackRock. They all have dirt on him. And that's not even including the people domestically and the organizations domestically that have Joe Biden completely owned. Okay. The hardest part for Joe Biden is not trying to, to, uh, you know, uh, take orders. He's very good at taking orders from whoever is giving him those orders. His hardest dilemma right now, and his entire family's hardest dilemma, is which country or, or company or individual or, or organization, which one does he have to listen to at any given moment? Because sometimes there's going to be contradictions, and he's going to have to go, hey, hey, don't expose me for that. Uh, these guys have want me to do this, and they have the same dirt on me or maybe worse dirt on me, so I'm going to do that, but you're still my... You're still my buddy. I mean, th those conversations must be hard when he has conflicting uh, leverage being used against him, people pushing for, for opposing views. Now, thankfully for him, okay, thankfully for him, the global elite cabal, which controls most of the the uh, dirt that they have on Joe Biden, that, that global elite cabal, generally speaking, are usually in lockstep with what they want the United States to do and what they want done to the United States, which is makes it Joe Biden's job and his life a little bit easier. We haven't even talked about Jill, Dr. Taco Jill Biden, and her role in all this. She is, many have said that she is running the country. Others have said that she is um, just running Biden and he's running the country. Most people say that she's just the one that the uh, his handlers go to to try to, to get him to do or say whatever they want him to say, and she's just the the middleman, the interpreter, so to speak. She's the only one that can that can talk Joe to Joe. So who who knows? And really, who cares? I don't care who's who's involved. It's not the who that matters to me. It's the what. What are they doing to this nation? That's the question that we need answered above all else. We see what they're doing at the public level, but what is, what's happening behind the scenes? That's where it gets really scary. We're, we've talked about the border all day. We're going to talk about the border in the second hour. We're going to talk about other things, but but it all ties back to what do they have on Joe? And what direction are they having him take this nation? That I, I hate to say that things should keep you up at night, but that's one of those things that should keep you up at night, knowing that the most compromised man in politics, the most compromised man probably ever in the history of U.S. politics 
is currently sitting in the Oval Office or, or a variation of the Oval Office. That is terrifying stuff. Let's go to break. And um, when we get back, we'll, we'll catch up on the other stuff. This is for station identification, so stay tuned. Welcome back. Welcome back to the J.D. Records Show. I'm very blessed, pleased, and honored to be with you today. I want to do a little bit of a brief, brief show notes before we, we move on uh, into the next the next topic, which, is, of course, has to do with the border, since that is the theme of today's show. We have, obviously, we have a Rumble channel, and uh, we've been using that Rumble channel for many, many years. I have created a new Rumble channel, and I'm asking everybody to, to uh, subscribe to it. Not for any other reason. It's, I don't want to, to double up or make it to where, oh, you know, you're you're uh, you're, you're moving things and, and we don't like change. It's not for, for that. It's because with this new channel, this new channel is going to be uh, CERN TV. Uh, that is is quickly becoming my primary focus. And I want this channel to be built up separate from everything else that I'm doing with Freedom First Network. And no, I'm not leaving Freedom First Network. So if you're watching on Freedom First Network, don't don't unsubscribe there. It's just that we are going to be putting up different content and we're going to be splitting it up to where both are unique um, over a period of time. Right now, I my show plays on both channels, but eventually there's going to be different shows on the two different channels. So I strongly recommend, please go to jdrucker.com slash rumble2. If you just go to Rumble, I'm sorry, Rumble 1, I was going to send you to the wrong place. Go to jdrucker.com slash Rumble 1, the number 1, okay? Uh, you can go to jdrucker.com slash Rumble, and you're probably already subscribed there. Uh, but I want you to subscribe to the new channel as well, if you don't mind, and, and you will, you'll be pleased that you did, uh, especially in the long term. Right now, we're duplicating, but that's not going to be the case um, for very much longer. We're also very pleased to announce that my 11 p.m. 11 a.m. show, sorry, 11 a.m. show is now being broadcast over at Spreely.tv, and it's 11 a.m. Pacific time. Spreely.tv, S-P-R-E-E-L-Y dot TV. Terry over there gave me a good slot. He said, hey, you know, show's going at it. That's great. That's awesome. We're very excited about that. If you live in the in the North LA County area or Los Angeles, I believe Los Angeles in general, uh, you will be able to hear us on terrestrial radio as well, coming very soon. That begins in the middle of January. I don't have the exact dates, and I'm embarrassed to say I don't have the the <laughs> the channel. I don't remember which channel it is, uh, but it's a good channel, great channel, and uh, we're very excited to be getting uh, back onto terrestrial radio in Los Angeles. Those who do want to hear the show on your local radio channel, you should probably contact them and say, hey, contact J.D. Rucker. And anybody can contact me by going to jdrucker.com slash talk. That's jdrucker.com slash talk. 
gosh. <laughs> there we go. That's, that's going to get him excited about having me on the air, being able to n- not even say my own URL. Anyway, yes, uh, reach out to me. Let me know uh, that well, you want to talk, and we'll talk. I try to talk to as many people as I can. I try to respond to as many emails as I get uh, that I can. Uh, we do get a lot, of course. But jdrucker.com slash talk is a direct line to me. It's the easiest direct line to me. So I don't care if you have questions, if you, if you have comments, you want to call me a, uh, an idiot, great. Send it over. If you want, to, you want to tell me good things, I'll take those as well. We'll always accept positive affirmation on top of all the, the negativity that we get. And talk about negativity, I did get hit really, really hard um, for my show regarding uh, Hamas. I got hit from, from every side. Okay, and that's that's great. I I mean, awesome. That means that people are paying attention, and I want you to be passionate one way or the other. Even if you disagree with me, if you're passionate about it, if you have good arguments, make those arguments. Okay, I have an open mind. I'll I'll listen to people. But one comment in particular that that really uh, hit home was the the notion that yeah, you know, I was talking about my belief that uh, Israel, that the the Jews in Israel, that they based upon my understanding of Ezekiel 36, that their their eyes will be opened, their hearts will be opened by God at some point. And I interpret that as being that, that he they will come to the understanding. This is not the only uh, book of the Bible by the, or chapter of the Bible that discusses this, but this is the one that, that really caught my attention because it does seem to be playing out right before our eyes as we speak. And the the notion that my belief that the, the Jewish people will open their eyes to the reality of Jesus Christ being their Messiah uh, I think that that's crystal clear in the Bible, and uh, but but I did get a comment from somebody that I like and, re- and respect a a viewer listener on the show who said that I shouldn't have done that that it was it was um, maybe I don't remember the exact words out of character or maybe a little offensive. Look, here's the thing, and I can't be more crystal clear about this. As a believer in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I don't look at this as I don't look at the Bible or the teachings of Christ as a as a pathway to, to betterment, you know, it's not like, oh, you know, if we just listen to Jesus and and do the things that that he said, and we can also li- listen to uh, to Gandhi or or whoever, you know, all these other people, and they they were good people that had had good ideas, and they they just wanted peace and love and all this stuff. I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> that's not the message of the Bible. As a Bible believing Christian, if I were to not say that I hope and pray that everybody, everybody will open their eyes to the truth of the Bible and will accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, then I'm not being a good Christian. If I don't say, if I don't believe that and if I don't say that, then that's not that's not the me- I'm not delivering the message. I'm not doing my job. I don't get on this show and, and proselytize, you know, try to tell people, you know, I don't I don't read a whole bunch of Bible verses. I don't try to try to get people to convert, you know. I'm not. I do offer my belief system. I do offer why I believe in the Bible, and I, I often refer to, to biblical uh, prophecy, especially in these times. But I don't think I take it overboard with my, with my belief at all. And maybe I do, but I'm not going to stop because, again, it would be very cruel of me if I do believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and I do believe that he is the pathway through which people can live eternity in, in uh, paradise rather than living eternity in hell, that would be very, very bad of me to not hope and pray that everybody, including the Jewish people, do have their eyes and hearts opened up 
So again, and I appreciate that, that not everybody, there are agnostics, there are atheists, there are Jews, there are Muslims, there are a whole lot of viewers out there and listeners out there who would disagree with me. And that's fine. I don't, you know, I'm not looking for consensus here. But as somebody who believes in that, who believes in salvation through Jesus Christ alone, I would be not doing my job if I didn't at least tell people that in my my very strongly uh, felt perspective, that is the truth. Because if I were to believe that and not say it, that's like saying, hey, <laughs> I got my salvation. You idiots don't get yours. <laughs> you know, that's not that's not how I roll. I don't. I don't want to belittle people. I don't want anybody to go to hell. That's that's just me. This next story, sticking going back to the whole whole uh, concept of our border invasion, is is destroying us. Let's turn to my least favorite. I would say this: she's literally my least favorite governor. It's is a it's a, a toss up. There is obviously Gretchen Whitmer, as we like to call her. There is, of course, Gavin Newsom. There are some really, really bad governors out there. Not just Democrats, mostly Democrats, but not just Democrats. But I would say arguably my least favorite, the one that I, I despise the most, is is Katie Hobbs. Uh, mostly because I don't think that she's legitimate. Okay, I think that she stole the election. I, you know, uh, ban me on Apple if you want. <laughs> ban me wherever because I keep getting banned for saying these things. But yeah, I do believe that the uh, 2022 Arizona elections, all of them, were stolen. I shouldn't say all of them. That, that makes it sound like I'm crazy. Uh, now, I'm not saying that the Democrats didn't win any elections at all. I'm saying that there were certain elections, especially statewide elections, that were clearly rigged. <laughs> I mean, there's no other way to put it. They were rigged. Maricopa County alone, the debacle on Election Day should demonstrate beyond a reasonable doubt that that there was, at the very least, acknowledged that there were shenanigans. And if you were to look at the evidence that... They they weren't allowed to present properly in courts. The uh, the uh, Carrie Lake team. If you look at the evidence, it seems crystal clear that, that that yes, it was stolen, and that's why I dislike Katie Hobbs. But she did do something positive, sort of, very recently. Uh, this article I got this off of um, this was over at thelibertydaily.com uh, from Just the News. Uh, John Solomon's wonderful site. Ben Whedon over there is the author, and the title is. Before Arizona, Governor Hobbs deployed National Guard. She neutered border security measures. So there's this big news about, oh, you know, even Katie Hobbs is going against the, the Biden-Harris regime, and they're they're calling for, for $500 million in, in aid and reparations for for the border, and, and there's the, she's deploying the National Guard. Yay, she's waking up. And maybe she is, but let's look at her, not just her history, but even her current policies, and understand that this may be just for show, and perhaps it's it's just to, I don't even know what it's for. Maybe she's woken up. Maybe the cartels said, hey, it's okay if you, you push push against us a little bit just to save yourself politically, but know who owns you. And yes, I do believe the cartels do own her, but it seems to go against that notion, so we'll see. According to the article, Arizona Democrat uh, Governor Katie Hobbs on Friday deployed the National Guard to the southern border amid the unprecedented surge in illegal immigration arrivals, immigrant arrivals. Under the Biden administration, she further pleaded with Washington to send further aid, admonishing the Biden administration for not responding to her request for $512 million to reimburse the state for border security expenses it had already incurred. And this is a quote she said. She said, yet again, the federal government is refusing to do its job, secure our border and keep our communities safe. With this executive order, I am taking action where the federal government won't. 
Despite continued requests for assistance, the Biden administration has refused to deliver desperately needed resources to Arizona's border. Wow. She's a Democrat. She's a crazy leftist Democrat. She's a crazy leftist Democrat that's owned by the cartel. And even she is saying, wow, this is bad. And maybe it's not just her. Maybe, maybe she's just responding. I think this would be the case. She's just responding to her constituents, to the people of Arizona saying that it's, they can't do it anymore. I don't know what her play is here. Maybe she did wake up. Hey, that'd be awesome. Lord willing, that is the case. Maybe she's finally starting to realize the error of her ways and the error of her party's ways. But let's look at her history and see if that is the case. Back to the article. Despite the hawkish rhetoric, however, Hobbs' own immigration record and past statements on the matter reflect a more permissive attitude that aligns somewhat with the administration. So let's go down the hit list, some of the things that she's done. Hobbs called a temporary border wall a political stunt and sold off the shipping containers. This is one of the very few things that that uh, Doug Ducey, uh, former Republican governor of Arizona, he started to do right around the end of his term. It was, I guess you could say, sort of semi-positive, more symbolic than anything else, but he started using shipping containers and putting those, stacking them on top of each other and essentially building a semi-border wall, at least a an obstruction, we'll call it a, a border speed bump. It's easily easily uh, overcome, but still, it's enough to make people say, oh, maybe I don't want to cross right here. I don't know. Maybe direct them, funnel them in a, in a different direction, or at least make it a little bit harder for them to cross the border. So hopefully, Lord willing, they would be captured by uh, Border Patrol or somebody else. Hmm. Uh, she said, it's a political stunt, referring to what Doug Ducey was, was saying. And this was, uh, I believe, during, during her campaign. It's a political stunt. It's a visual barrier that is not actually providing the effective barrier to entry. And I think it's a, a waste of taxpayer dollars. And don't forget, they're not having to build these. They're just moving and stacking. Okay? They're playing Legos here. That's what Ducey was doing. He was saying this is the cheapest way to at least put an obstruction between Mexico and the United States at the Arizona, the southern Arizona border. I, I, it was minor. I didn't even at the time. I don't think I did any stories on it because it's not that huge of a deal. But she made it a, a campaign effort, and she was against it. All of a sudden, hey, she's she's Miss Borderhawk, but back then she was not. Next one, she praised Biden's immigration policy earlier this year. Okay, in 2023, she praised Biden's border policy. Now she's like, oh, you guys sent us 500 million dollars, and we're we're sending National Guard and all this other stuff. Yeah, something it's, uh, it's sort of convenient, huh? In January, upon taking office, Hobbs celebrated the Biden administration's approach to border security, saying, I am encouraged by the White House's recent actions to finally visit the border and to start proposing real steps to begin addressing the problems of the current system. And while optimistic, I will also continue to push Congress to do its job and press comprehensive immigration reform. Hmm. She liked what they were doing less than a year ago. Her speech came amid President Biden's uh, visit to the southern border, a trip that conservatives criticized as a public relations stunt amid reports that border officials had swept away migrant camps near El Paso, Texas, to present a more organized backdrop to his official visit. Number three, the governor vetoed a measure to ban providing aid to human uh, smuggling efforts. Hmm. Wow, that sure doesn't seem very beneficial. But hey. She did it. The governor in June vetoed legislation brought by Tucson GOP State Senator Justine Wadsack that would have made it a Class II felony to use an electronic device to conceal an individual from a peace officer or aid in their flight. 
in the Hobbs. This is Katie Hobbs. She said, this bill is yet another attempt by the majority to criminalize organizations and individuals who aim to support immigrants and refugees. Let's be clear, okay? These are not immigrants. They're not immigrating. These are not refugees. They're not escaping war. These are illegal aliens who are stealing our sovereignty every single day. Don't use the left's language. Don't allow them to use that language. Correct them when they do. Back to the article. Uh, and this is uh, the, the end of, of the quote from Hobbes. I implore the majority party to work with stakeholders. Gosh, I hate that word. To provide real solutions to our border communities. Those real solutions are, obviously, and call me biased, but build the wall, make it tall, put more b- border security on the border, reenact, Stay in Mexico. So, hey, look, if somebody really needs asylum, I've got no problem with the true asylum seekers. They need asylum, great. Come come over here. Right when you know, right as soon as you get to the border, you apply for asylum and you stay there and wait for your, your hearing. And then when your hearing comes, we'll we'll come get you. Okay. You can you can declare and explain why you make the case why you need asylum. And then if you're granted asylum, Great. Now you are legally here in the United States of America. Until then, stay in Mexico. Period. You don't get released into the into the uh, the nation. You don't. You're not given a card saying saying when you're supposed to appear for your court date. You stay on the other side of the border. You can enter once you're allowed to enter. Period. If you do those things and you start deporting those who have crossed over illegally, who are here as illegal aliens. You do those things, and all of a sudden, we're not going to have this mad rush for the border. Uh, Like I said earlier, the problem is a big one. The solution is simple. It's not easy, but it is simple. It doesn't take a whole lot to realize what it's going to take to fix our border crisis. Next one, I think, is number four. She uh, proposed $40 million for a scholarship to benefit DACA recipients. Remember DACA? Hobbs in January unveiled her executive budget, which included $40 million to create a tuition scholarship program for deferred action for childhood arrivals. Uh, eligible students, the proposed earned pray, uh, the proposal earned praise from pro-immigrant organizations, including from the DACA advocacy group Aliento. This is a, a quote from CEO Raina Montoya. This is a great first step for Governor Hobbs' support for all students, including our dreamers. We're excited for how this could impact the 2,000 dreamers who graduate from high school every every year. This could uh, potentially, this is Montoya again, this could potentially put Arizona on the right track to make education more accessible and equitable. We will continue to work for those students and look forward to Hobbs following through with this proposal. <sighs> yeah. No, I'm not going to comment. Let's get to the last one. I could go off on DACA and giving them scholarships for a long time. We don't have enough time in the show for everything that I have to say on that topic. Let's move on to the next one. This is the final one. Hobbs defunded a state border enforcement team. Again, as I said in the story earlier about Greg Abbott, we just need better and more cops at the border. That will help out. I shouldn't say just need. It's just a step. But one of those steps, we do need people that are protecting the border. Because there is a mad rush of humanity crossing over. This is an invasion. 
the vast majority of them are military-aged men. Okay, as I've said before, you if you are a, a military-aged man and you're in, you have a family. Okay, you don't you take them with you if you're trying to escape war, trying to escape strife. When you go alone, you're not going to try to escape war. You're going to war. Gosh, you, everybody has to realize this. I don't care. Left, right, doesn't matter. This is an invasion. They're embedding themselves in the United States of America. And when their numbers reach reach a certain level, we don't know when that'll be. It could be now. could be already. could be next week, next month, next year. But it's not going to be much longer than that. When it's time, the invasion uh, the invasion, the, the, they're already invading. The, uh, the action starts, and that's where it will get really, really ugly, folks. I don't know if we can overcome it, so we just have to stop it before it happens. <sighs> Back to the article. In March of this year, Hobbs announced plans to defund a border security organization run by the state designed to combat international criminal activity. The Border Strike Force was a supplementary law enforcement group that mostly focused on drug cartels. <laughs> of course she would defund that she's owned by the cartels duh fiscal year 2024 budget summary declared that the uh, border strike force is an initiative that does not appear to have accomplished its intended purpose and eliminated an ongoing special line item associated with the agency amounting to 17.1 million dollars the budget further reallocated a second line item of $12.2 million that had been assigned to the Border Strike Task Force local support and sent it to a new local border support line item to provide grants to law enforcement in border communities to conduct border-related activities. Gosh, you know, it's so funny. They, they, they use such ambiguous language whenever they're talking about pretty much anything. And it's not just Democrats. It is the Republicans, too. If you try to read a bill, remember the good old days you probably don't remember because it's been too long. But there was a time when government was relatively simple. When they said what they wanted to say, they declared what they wanted to declare, and they made it very clear. Second Amendment, people say, oh, it's so obscure. It's not. Yes, it is written in language from the 18th century, but it's still easy to interpret. And the tenets, the, the ideas presented in that sentence are very crystal clear, and they still do apply today. Instead, today we have such ambiguity in everything the government says, everything the government does, and that's for a reason. There's a reason why why they always name bills, whether at the state or national level, they always name bills after the exact opposite of what they intend. I mean, it's 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 funny. I'm gonna see, you know, let me see if I can find this. There was a video, uh, video of of Alex Newman confronting confronting politicians and asking them why the uh, why the, um, what was it, the Reduce Inflation Act or lower, oh, I forgot what it's called. Um, uh, I think, yeah, it was Reduce Inflation Act, I don't know. Uh, battle inflation, something like that. Why it had nothing to do with inflation. Yeah, they, they sold it as inflation, but it was really about spending more on the Green New Deal. You know, how does that, how does that fit? How does that even work out? These, these guys, these guys are idiots. I'll see if I can find that. Let me, uh, yeah, there it is. Okay, cool. I got that one. We'll, we'll play that later. But the, um, the key here, back to the board, back back to Katie Hobbs. They they always say the opposite of what they really mean, and they always use ambiguous language so that they have an out. They want out of everything. They want to be able to back out of anything they put forward. At some point, we're going to realize, especially as it pertains to the border, that we need to be clear and concise. 
We need definitive action, definitive words, definitive measures. We need that soon. We need that now. We needed that two years ago. It looks as if some movement is happening. Some things are happening at the state level. We need a heck of a lot more than that because, folks, if we don't, if we don't stop this invasion, we will not have a country. Be sure to catch me on all of my various channels. You can catch the live shows, see these clips like the one you just saw over at jdrucker.com slash shows. That's jdrucker.com slash shows. Very odd story hit my desk yesterday. I had meant to report on it, but I had to, had to skip it. We're going to report on it today. Still valid. This comes from slaynews.com. Frank Bergman over there. Another drill sergeant found dead at Fort Jackson Army Base, second in eight days. According to the article, another drill sergeant was has been found dead at the Fort Jackson U.S. Army Base in South Carolina. The U.S. Army revealed the death in a statement Monday. The tragedy is the second such death in just over a week. 30-year-old Staff Sergeant Zachary L. Melton was found unresponsive on Saturday. The U.S. Army Garrison Fort Jackson said in a news release that Melton was found inside his vehicle on the base. Melton was a drill sergeant with the 1st Battalion, 34th Infantry Regiment. His body was found by unit personnel. He was located after he failed to report for work. In a statement, Fort Jackson Commander uh, Brigadier Brigadier General Jason Kelly said, We are extremely saddened by the loss of Staff Sergeant Melton. My thoughts are with his family and the soldiers of the Always Forward Battalion during his this very emotional time. Now, I don't want to, uh, they, they haven't declared a cause of death, nor did they declare a cause of death for the previous one a week, a little over a week earlier. I don't want to sound the alarm bells just yet. You know, we can, as <clears throat> those of us who are, who are watching for conspiracies, um, two is suspicious. Two deaths in eight days, that's definitely suspicious. We'll keep our eye on it. I don't want to start saying, uh-oh, something, something crazy. Something crazy is happening. This could just be a coincidence. But then again, we we know uh, very clearly, apparently, there are no coincidences. Another odd story hit my desk. Yes, no, this was actually last week. I was meaning to report on a lot of times, folks, just as a quick note, I do sometimes take these stories and uh, they'll sit in my queue. I will have... Anywhere from 10 to 20 stories, sometimes more than that, waiting to be discussed. And I'll go through and I'll stack rank them based upon whether or not I want to talk about them that day. And I get through as much of the list as I can. Sometimes stories like these get pushed off, but they are still important. This one came from End Times Headlines, titled Fear Grips Doctors Around the World as New China Virus Stops Responding to All Antibiotics. Now, as many of you know, I have been keeping my eye out for whatever the next variation, whatever pandemic panic theater 2.0 is going to, to uh, be, however it's going to manifest. And so stories like these, I keep an eye on them. I don't want to ring the alarm bells too loud just in case there's nothing there, but it's always important to, to note them at the very least so that we can keep our, our eyes on them. According to the article, doctors worldwide are in meltdown after China confirmed that the mysterious pneumonia Taking over the country has stopped responding to all antibiotics. The Daily Star has been reporting how the strange unidentified virus has been causing chaos in China for weeks. With the world on high alert over fears a new pandemic could be on the way and no official confirmation as to what it is. 
although it so far only seems to impact mainly children. <laughs> oh, only. <laughs> Look, just as a, a quick note, if and when Pandemic Panic Theater strikes, and I believe it will strike, obviously, before the 2024 election, as the most likely timing of their next unleashing, uh, when it hits, chances are it is going to affect children. I, I hate to say that. I don't want to to uh, get into any whatever jinxes. I don't want that to be the case, but I believe that is what's going to end up happening. They, they, uh, we've already gone through one round of pandemic panic theater. We're ready for the next round, or at least a lot of us think we are. But if they really want to to stoke fear, they go after the parents. And the parents, you think that people were mad because you were trying to kill grandma for not wearing a mask. Just imagine how mad they're going to be if you're trying to kill their children. They will be irate, to say the least. <clears throat> Back to the article. The panic saw officials in neighboring countries such as India who are wary of another virus spreading through their population through the corona, uh, following the coronavirus outbreak in 2019, readying themselves for action. It <clears throat> had already reached Europe with Denmark and Holland confirming an influx of cases with the, uh, with, with the World Health Organization on high alert and monitoring the situation. But now, in a new worrying development, a mother from China has confirmed that antibiotics given to her one-and-a-half-year-old daughter for the virus have not worked. Rachel Cao uh, spoke to Bloomberg confirming that doctors warned her that some youngsters weren't responding to the treatment and her daughter was not, uh, has, that her, and her daughter has now developed uh, lesions in her lungs and continues to deteriorate even after she was switched to an intravenous dosage. Given a stronger antibiotic and treated with other drugs to target the inflammation that developed around her heart. I melted down, she said. I, I was constantly stupefied by how much worse things could get. Although no deaths have been reported yet, the fact that drugs appear not to work on it is bad news. Zhou Feng Zhang, chair of the epidemiology of epidemiology at the Fielding School of Public Health at the University of California, Los Angeles said, if the antibiotics no longer work, the illness will stretch out longer. That increases the risk of spread and the outsized outbreaks that are occurring. Again, I don't want to be a fear monger. I feel as if I may have been a bit premature in being concerned about the, the mysterious Chinese virus that was spreading around late 2019. I was one of the early ones on that that uh, subject, and I was very concerned. I was concerned about the numbers that were coming out of China. Now, in retrospect, why would I be concerned about any numbers coming out of China? Because they're always going to be lies. Lies in one direction or the other. If they want, if they want you to think that it's bad, then they'll they'll tell you it's worse than it is. If they want you to think that it's not so bad, then they'll they won't tell you it's that bad. This is we saw that throughout the pandemic. That's what they were doing. You know, they initially the initial reports were horrible. Oh my gosh, hundreds of thousands of people being infected so quickly. And then over time, we saw that, oh, no, we've got this under control. There's only like 5,000 people in China that have COVID. It was it lies in both directions. So so learn lesson learned. Okay. I apologize to those who were listening in late 2019 when I was talking about this mysterious novel coronavirus that was spreading. Now, I don't want to make the same mistake twice. So should we keep our eye on this? You betcha. Yeah. Keep your eye on it. See what's happening. Do we need to get concerned? Do we need to get get worried about whether or not this virus is going to be a, a, a true killer and start taking out children. I would say that our bigger worry at this stage is what the implications are. 
if this is Pandemic Panic Theater 2.0, we need to be ready to fight back against the medical tyranny that is on our doorstep. You can mark this next story down as, I'll believe it when I see it. It's It could be potentially good news. Then again, it, it could just be another smokescreen, another attempt to to keep us in the dark. And I would say if I had to, to bet, forced to bet on one or the other, I would say is the latter. Story comes from Just the News. Madeline Hubbard over there says that over 175 of Jeffrey Epstein's associates to be revealed in court documents in 2024. It's it's happening. It's happening, folks. <laughs> we'll see. Like I said, I'll believe it when I see it, according to the article. A federal judge ordered the names of 177 associates of the late convicted pedophile Jeffrey Epstein to be made public in 2024 with the unsealing of court documents. Epstein didn't kill himself. The judge on Monday ordered the names to be unsealed in connection to a defamation case brought by Prince uh, Edward, uh, Prince Edward, Prince Andrew, accuser of Virginia uh, Roberts. I, you know, I need to figure out how to pronounce this. This lady's name. She's in the news from time to time because she is the the accuser of Prince Andrew. Uh, Giffer? Giffer? G-I-U-F-F-R-E. I'm embarrassed to admit I have no idea how to pronounce that. We'll just call her Virginia Roberts for now. Uh, against Jeline G- uh, Maxwell, uh, Epstein's former girlfriend, who was sentenced to 20 years in prison for sex crimes. Epstein didn't kill himself. Hundreds of files related to the associates are set to be released on January 1st, but will likely be made public the following day as January 1st is a holiday. The 51-page court order first published by the Daily Mail lists 187 Epstein associates and whether their information would be unsealed and why. Hmm. Let's, we'll, uh, there's a, a PDF. It's not showing up on here. And I, I don't like opening PDFs, so you'll just have to go to justthenews.com and find this story to, to see this, this. Okay, fine. I'll go ahead and open it. Let's see what this says here. Oh, great. See, I opened it and, and I should have, should have noted that it's 51 pages. Let's see if there's anything interesting on here. <laughs> I don't know. Too much, too many words. I'm like Gaston in, uh, in the original Beauty and the Beast. And no, I didn't see the remake, you know. There's, there's no pictures. How do you read this stuff? Or whatever it was that he said. Let's get back to the article. The names and, identif- and, and identifying information of 10 J. Doe's listed will remain sealed because they are uh, alleged minor sex abuse victims who have not publicly spoken about their experience. In other cases, quote, the public interest does not outweigh the private interest of the alleged minor victim. <clears throat> uh, Robert Giffer. Uh, Roberts, Virginia, <laughs> and Maxwell uh, sued Maxwell in 2015 for defamation. And while the case has since been settled, media outlets filed to have documents published. And again, that will never be the case. How is it possible that we can find out pretty much anything that we want? Okay. I mean, we really can. We can find out there are ways to, through Freedom of Information Act, there are ways through just searching, searching the Internet, searching the dark net or whatever it's called, People can find information. Why is this so heavily guarded? And the and that's a rhetorical question. The answer is obvious. The people that are going to be implicated at some point, Lord willing, implicated in with their due to their connections to Jeffrey Epstein and the almost certainty of horrid crimes that they committed with him against against children. This this is uh this would rock the world. 
We're talking about leaders in, in government, leaders in business, probably leaders in, in, in clergy. Who knows? I've, I've heard some rumors about that as well. But obviously, this would have major implications. And so they tell the law enforcement, they tell the judges, they tell these people, hey, you know, granted, we probably should release these names, but we can't because it'll do this, it'll do that, it'll do whatever. Or they'll say, hey, if you release these names, then we'll kill your family. Or they say, hey, if you don't release these names, we'll give you $10 million. Okay, I mean, they, they either blackmail, bully, bribe, whatever. Whatever they can do to prevent information like this from coming out, we need somebody with with balls to, to just do it. There are people that have access to this information. Somebody amongst you has the courage, hopefully, somebody amongst you has, has the, the spirit of righteousness that would say, release the names. I don't care who gets hurt. I seriously don't. I don't want victims hurt, but I don't care what politician gets hurt. I don't care what business leader gets hurt. Look, if, if Donald Trump is on the list, I want to know that. I don't think he is. People always say, oh, look, here's a picture of Donald Trump at some random party taking a picture with uh, Jeffrey Epstein. So, you know, clearly he was involved. Look, okay, you got Bill Gates who was on, on the plane like like 400 times. You have you have uh, uh, Bill Clinton, <clears throat> Bill Clinton, who, who, who that was his, basically his second home. Okay, I'm not concerned about whether or not anybody in our tribe, anybody on our side, uh, was involved. Alan Dershowitz, his name has been thrown out there, and I know he's a Democrat, but he's been basically a freedom-loving Democrat for for a while. Point being is that we need to know who is who did what, and I'm not just saying release the names. I'm saying release the evidence, release the crimes. I imagine, and it's I don't think it's a stretch to say that somebody has the tapes. Epstein, for whatever reason, whether he was you know, working for the CIA, working for Mossad, just working for himself, all those rumors are out there. He has evidence against these people. He was utilizing his island to get dirt on people, and he would assure people, hey, don't worry, I'll never release this, but <laughs> I got it. Just keep that in mind. That's why he was murdered. Jeffrey Epstein did not kill himself. I'm going to do my best to not let this be the last story of the day. It's very easy that it could be uh, because it's talking about topics that are near and dear to my heart, topics that I like to talk about, not because I enjoy them, but because people need to know. It's talking about the Rockefellers. <laughs> Already got my attention. Talking about global governance. Definitely got my attention. Talking about using climate change to achieve it. Hmm. All right. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> This article comes from a source. I don't usually use this source very often, only because they, they have a paywall behind. Uh, they put their stories behind a paywall. You get a certain amount free. So I usually run out of run out of room before I can get to them. But this time, I was able to get this one, and I kept it stuck on my browser so that I would not have to, to pay for it later. This is uh, over a week old. It's like 10 days old. But obviously, talking about global governance, the Rockefellers, and climate change, it is Certainly still relevant today. This article by uh, Paul Skates over at spectator.org, uh, the American Spectator. Rockefeller's dream, global governance through climate change. It's very straightforward. Like, like the left's long march through the institutions, David Rockefeller played the long game. And we have to be clear. Look, I've said this before. I'll say it again. Republicans, generally speaking, we work with what we, what we have now. Conservatives, we work, you know, let's address the issues of today. Democrats, 
in general and leftists in particular, especially the globalist leftists, they they work in terms of months, years, decades. Some would say centuries if you take it all the way back to the Garden of Eden, <laughs> which you could. But at the very least, we know that they they work in the long term. And the Rockefeller Rockefeller conglomerate, along with all of their various uh, scions and proxies and everybody else, they they have been been engaged in this globalist tyranny campaign for for a very long time. According to the article, David Rockefeller, grandson of oil magnate John D. and longtime head of the Chase Manhattan Bank, must be laughing his head off right now for his global government dream might come into existence through one of the most ridiculous and unbelievable scams in history called climate change. Rockefeller, Rockefeller created, funded, or joined various secret societies that spawned globalist conspiracy theories, such as the Council on Foreign Relations, the Bilderberg Group, and the Trilateral Commission, and Rockefeller often spoke those theories with provocative statements. These are a couple of couple of quotes from, from David Rockefeller. Some even believe that we, the Rockefeller family, are, are conspiring with others around the world to build a more integrated global political and economic structure. One word, if you will. One world, if you will. If that's the charge, I stand guilty, and I am proud of it. That was from uh, his memoirs. Then during a speech at the Bilderberg meeting in Berlin in 1991, he said, but today the world is more sophisticated and prepared to march towards a world government. Now, one does not have to be a Bible-believing Christian or a scholar of prophecy to realize that the push towards a one-world government does have have uh, biblical implications. It does have It's discussed as being such in the book of Revelation. So when you have people willfully coming out, people like Rockefeller, powerful people, coming out and saying that that is their goal, they're not ignorant to the implication as it pertains to the Bible. They know what it means. They know what they're saying, and they're proudly saying it. And this is not just something new. A lot of these organizations, a lot of these individuals have only come out in recent years out of their shadows. The Rockefellers have been working out of the shadows for a long time. They also work in the shadows, too. Don't get me wrong. But they definitely have been more vocal than most as it pertains to their their uh, their goals and desires. They feel like they are untouchable. Perhaps they are. Like I've always said, you don't you don't have the opportunity that we have with with other you know, say national organizations or governments. We can go and protest in Washington D.C. We can go to our city halls. We can go to state legislatures. We can protest. We can file complaints. We can do all sorts of stuff. What do you do against the World Economic Forum? What do you do against Bill Gates? What do you do against people and organizations that have enough money and power and influence to be able to keep them outside of harm's way, at least harm from us? There's not much you can do, but that doesn't mean we, we stop fighting, not by, not by a long shot. <clears throat> Another Rockefeller-funded group is the Club of Rome, co-founded by Italian industrialist Aurelio, Aurelio sorry, uh, Percy and Scotsman Alexander King in 1968, whose stated goal was to reduce the world's population to a sustainable level of between 500 million and 1 billion people. Their 1972 book, The Limits to Growth, explains the Malthusian vision. Too many people on Earth using too much of the planet's resources would result in a catastrophic worldwide societal collapse within 100 years if something wasn't done immediately. How, how many times have we heard that? All these various collapses that will happen in X period of time. Don't even get me started on Al Gore or Greta Thunberg, or Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, or anybody else that's been crying about climate change since since before Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was even born. But hey, 
It's enough useful idiots that just keep believing it, keep bowing down to the, the altars of climate change, the, the uh, climate change cultists. They'll, they'll always believe it because they want to believe it, because they want to believe that we're doomed. I'll get into that another time. <laughs> That's a big topic. They believed that the world, the only that only a world government could implement that something, something that needed to be done immediately, something that that uh, that gives them basically unlimited power for whatever reasons that they actually want it. It's definitely not so they can stop climate change or anything else. Back to the article. Fast forward to today when we're scolded by climate zealots that we only have 12 years left to save the planet from the effects of global warming. So same scaremongering, just a, a shorter time frame. In both cases, the dire warnings were just as, as useful lies as the Club of Rome openly admitted in 1991 in a book titled The First Global Revolution, co-authored by co-founder Alexander King. In the intro to part two, he quoted French futurist Gaston Berger, we must no longer wait for tomorrow. It has to be invented. So, invent they did. King noted that the end of the Cold War resulted in the sudden absence of traditional enemies against which support for global government could be justified. He wrote, in search for a new enemy to unite us, we came up with... Let's, let, let me repeat that in case you didn't hear. We came up with the idea that, that the threat of global warming would fit that bill. Come on. This is why I don't understand people on the right who still believe in in global warming. There are many of them. Nikki Haley, for example, is she's she's as far to the left as possible to still retain her Republican uh, the, the little R next to her name. She's as far to the left as possible when it comes to climate change. She does believe in it. She's openly openly agreed with it. And perhaps that's why people People like uh, Jamie Dimon and J.P. Morgan Chase and uh, and Larry Fink over BlackRock. Maybe that's why they they like her so much because they know that that if she were to somehow miraculously demonically become president, then uh, then they would have a friend a friend in indeed. But we'll see. Yeah, they they've they've developed this. And for those who aren't familiar with the Club of Rome, they do the the Club of Rome does stay in the shadows for the most part. But they you've seen their offspring. You've seen their their uh, what what they helped to create way back in the early 70s when when uh, Klaus Schwab as a student started talking to his his mentor Henry Kissinger they worked with the Club of Rome to develop the World Economic Forum the World Economic Forum is essentially the recruiting arm the ideological think tank arm of the Club of Rome and if you want to know who the tip of the spear is that would be the Council for Inclusive Capitalism also funded by the Rockefeller Foundation uh, that is led by a Rothschild that is embraced by the Vatican. Yes, this is a, a group that does definitely needs ex exponentially more attention than what it is given. Because if, like I said, if you look at the World Economic Forum as the recruitment arm for the globalists, as the, the think tank, the uh, the PR uh, aspect of of worldwide globalism, which I guess is a, a uh, redundancy, you get the idea. But the Council for Inclusive Capitalism would be the tip of the spear. They're the action arm of the globalists. So that's why we've talked about them a few times. Sounds like I need to talk about them even more. But back to the article. So global warming was invented. A new Frankenstein's monster 
against which the gullible world would zealously unite. But just like Miss Shelley's frightful creature, global warming, uh, later uh, climate change, is an imaginary monster. The real threat to human societies are the solutions proposed and backed by avid globalists. I thought that the Club of Rome was just a group of bored elitists who would quickly move on to ESG, Scientology, etc., but I was wrong. In a 2017 interview, co-author of The Limits to Growth and World Economic Forum member, Dennis Meadows said that, quote, 86% of the world's population needs to be eliminated, but a benevolent dictator could accomplish that peacefully. My gosh. I mean, like I said, they're out of the shadows, folks. It's, they don't care because they know that nobody's going to talk about it. They can say whatever they want. The days in there, there were days in past, not too long ago. We're talking about about a yeah, maybe a couple of decades ago, where you could expect at least somebody in journalism to latch on to stuff like this, to to report on it. But this was done in 2017, and by that time, it was over. Fake news media had taken over completely. There is no true journalism, not within the corporate media sphere. The only true journalism that you can ever find today is through independent journalism. To some extent, some in, there are maybe even many. I would I would argue many in conservative journalism are are seeking the truth, but even oftentimes they are are tied too heavily to the RNC or to the Republican Party in general or to particular candidates. They focus so much on the political side of things they absolutely they they don't want to get involved with the more conspiratorial globalist side of things and they and it's not just because they're they're not interested because they are interested but they also know that if they do go down that road then then uh, sugar daddies at google and facebook will 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 disavow them and they can't get those fat checks from google or from youtube they can't get the massive traffic from facebook that's how they're controlled you know and i'm i'm I, look i get it it's a business people do what they have to do to to survive there's families involved. I don't want to say, oh, you know, if, if you see Google AdWords on a site, then leave it. I used to think sort of like that, but but I decided against that, N number one, because that would mean that, that 80, 90% of the conservative sites out there I couldn't ever visit anymore but <laughs> or quote or do anything with. But number two, look, if unless I'm willing to pay their the, the salaries of those people that would be harmed, if I were to force them out of, of using Google or force them from getting traffic from Facebook, then, then maybe I could say something, but I'm not willing to do that. I'm not capable of doing that. I don't have that kind of money. Nowhere close to it. I'm still having a difficult time finding finding uh, writers for my stuff. So, you know, even though we did hire one, that was nice. That's nice to have have that that guy available. Um, Cactus Williams back on back on track. So good to have him back. But anyway, point being is that uh, you, if you want the truth, you have to look to independent media. Fringe media is what, what a lot of times we're being called. I like to look at it as alternative media, but, but you know, it's, I'm not just being a self-serving shill when I say, you know, watch my show, watch, watch this guy's show, that guy's show, but independent media is where it's at. That's where you're going to get the truth. It's the only place you can get the truth, and you'll only get it completely from those who are completely not beholden, unbeholden, I guess is the word, to government to political parties, including the Republican Party, to Google, to Facebook. Only those who are speaking the truth because that's what they're, they're able to do because they have no ties or, or attachments to anybody who would censor them, those are the only people that you can truly trust to deliver the truth. 
I'm not saying that you won't get any truth at all anywhere else. That's not that's not the case. I mean, case in point, this is a great article from Spectator. They're diving into pretty crazy things here, right? So does that mean that, that 100% of their stuff is, is, is great? No, but a lot of it is. Point being is that don't get into the whole censorship trap. Don't start. Don't only get your news from those places that are beholden to the RNC that are beholden to Google or Facebook or anybody else. Today's episode brought to you by Genesis Gold Group. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. I mean, I'm not kidding. They they really did bring this article together. But you know why? Here's the thing. You know why I love Genesis Gold Group? It's not just because they're a Christian company. It's not just because because they're an America First company. It's not just because you can help yourself with uh, physical precious metals to back your retirement by going to jdrgold.com. I love them because they don't say crap about my content. I mean, nothing. They don't even want to know <laughs> half the time. They just they just say, hey, okay, so so go out there, say what you need to say, and uh, and we won't listen to it. And if people complain to them, they'll come to me and they'll say, hey, somebody complained. And I'll say, do you want me to change it? They'll say, no. We don't want you to change anything. Keep doing you keep doing you. So that's why I like Genesis Gold Group at JDRGold.com. But let's let's get back into this article. Ah, uh, let's see. Where was I? So global warming was invented by men who are still committed to eliminating over 7 billion humans from the earth. Men who recognize that only a global government can accomplish that task. Another David Rockefeller protege was Canadian millionaire Maurice. It's pronounced Morris. Spelled Maurice, but it's Morris. Morris Strong. A high school dropout, at age of 18, he met Rockefeller, who took Strong under his wing, introducing him to the Canadian Rockefellers, the, the Desmarais family. Strong went to work for them in the Alberta oil field and by age 28 was a millionaire, at which time Rockefeller got him his first job at the United Nations. Of course he did. In 72, Strong was selected to head the UN's new environment program, where he convened the first international expert group on climate issues and created the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change. Under the UNFCCC, uh, he formed the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the body that provides the climate assessment reports that have been termed the Environmentalist Bible. Hmm. <laughs> that the computer models used for those assessments have been repeatedly and embarrassingly wrong hasn't deterred climate zealots from renewed hysteria at every IPCC report release. Strong is credited with coining the term climate change when global warming became awkward due to declining global temperatures starting around the year 2000. His most important legacy, though, is the UN's Agenda 21 Sustainable Development Program unveiled in 1972 and then rebranded in 2015 as Agenda 2030. There's that year again. What's going to happen in 2030? We'll see. Agenda 21 slash 2030 is the blueprint of the global government scheme using climate change as its alluring mask. In the UN's own words, it will, quote, it will require a profound reorientation of all humans, unlike anything the world has ever experienced, such as the massive redistribution of wealth from Western democracies to the developing, developing world. Another quote from their, from their plan, between 3.3 to $4.5 trillion per year, trillion not million, not billion, trillion dollars per year to achieve the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. That staggering amount would cripple the Western economies, thus removing a major barrier to global government, the ultimate goal of the climate change ruse. 
Agenda 21-2030, Chapter 4, calls for drastically reducing consumption and production of everything, uh, which uh, comports nicely with the Club of Rome's 2018 Climate Emergency Plan, which calls for having consumption, having, cutting in half, consumption, production, and halting all fossil fuel investments. Neither document addressed the millions of jobs they would destroy or the poverty and vulnerability of the populace that would, would ensue, but hey, you know, those are just details, right? Poverty, death, destruction, details. Chapter 5 almost lets the cat out of the bag, blaming the growth of world population for, quote, placing increasingly severe stress on our planet. Chapter 7 calls for an end to private property, claiming that, quote, social justice can only be achieved if land is used in the interests of society as a whole. Does that sound like socialism, Marxism, communism, anyism to you? Of course it does, because it is. That's why I don't like, I noted earlier in the story, that I don't like the, the term stakeholder, stakeholder capitalism. It's not capitalism, and it's, it's, you really can't even call them stakeholders. This is just communism under a new form, new, new name. They're doing everything they can to disguise their true intentions, whilst a- actively and openly stating their true intentions. That sounds like a contradiction, but it's not. They, they hide it out in, in plain sight. They have to recruit people. They have to get people excited. They have to indoctrinate us. They have to normalize such terms as social justice. We're already seeing that as a term that was normalized as a result of the actions of this globalist elite cabal. There's no other way around it. You cannot, you cannot convince me otherwise. They're doing whatever they can to not just control language but, and, and to control us, but also to control the destiny of the world. And the question is, are we going to allow them? The answer to that, of course, is no. But then the question becomes, how do we stop them? My show is dedicated to finding solutions whenever possible. I don't know the solution to this. I talk about these stories every day. I talk about the threats from this globalist elite cabal. I don't have a solution. People say it's a cop-out when I say we got to pray. That's not a cop-out. That's the truth. We do have to pray. And then there are those that say we need to do more. And I agree. I just don't know what the next step is. And how do you stop a Rockefeller? How do you stop the World Economic Forum? Do you protest them? How? Where? Where do we go? We got to fly to Rome? <laughs> what do we do? And I'm not trying to, to get you down or say, say that it's hopeless by any means. I do believe that as long as we keep getting the truth out there and making people aware, somebody's going to come up with a solution. Lord willing, somebody will. Or perhaps more likely, God will provide us with a solution, if that's the intent. I've also very, I'm, I'm very actively and, and openly aware that it's possible that there is no quote-unquote solution, that this is just the path that we're on. This is the path that we were, were told about in the beginning. You know, long before any of us were born, the book of Revelation and other prophetic books of the Bible talk about what we're seeing manifesting today. Now, I'm, not, I'm not going to say definitively what this is. We are definitely in the end times. I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking about how the, the concept of the end times began Basically, as soon upon the the death of Jesus Christ, I'm not saying that. I'm saying you know, you, from that perspective, oh sure, we're definitely in the end times. I'm saying the actual end end times, as in like like trials, tribulations that uh, and and massive amounts of death. Talking about about the big changes that are coming. I do believe, if I were forced to put a percentage, I do believe that I would put us at about seventy thirty, seventy percent chance that we are definitely in the end times. And if that's the case, then yes, climate change and organizations like the Club of Rome and people like, like David Rockefeller, they're the ones that are going to be driving this. 
And are they the actual driving force? No. I think that they are all working on behalf of Satan himself. People are sometimes shocked when they hear that. You know, you're saying that they're they're Satanists? Well, yes, I am. But more importantly, I'm, I'm saying they are getting taking orders. Whoever's at the very tippity top of the the from the human side, they are working with the powers and principalities, and they are getting orders from Satan. I will leave a link to this story. It's it's much longer than this, but I said I wasn't going to do this entire thing for the rest of the show, but apparently I did. So I'll leave a link to it. It, it is a great read over at uh, Spectator.org <clears throat> by by Paul Skates. Read it and be aware. And let's look for solutions. If you've got some solutions, leave them in the comments, please. Lord willing, I will be back very soon with another episode. But in the meantime, stay strong, stay safe, and God bless. <laughs>